This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna f***ing It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 110 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Boston Bruins training camp started today, so I'm going to throw it to, to you, Scott and Bridget, and, and let's get going. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the most important stuff there is, which is the jersey ads. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get to that later on. Scott, take it away. That's right. Day one of Bruins training camp, the most important story in, in Boston sports right now. There's no... Uh, scandals involving coaches Nothing. potentially getting fired or anything like that. Nothing else going on today. This is le- this is going to be the lead. Um, yeah, no, it was. It seemed like a pretty good first day of practice. Uh, I think pace was pretty high. Uh, they're two separate groups. Both are on the ice for about an hour and a half. And Jim Montgomery on Wednesday had kind of tipped us off that he was going to be mixing in a lot of young players with veterans so the lines and pairings aren't like what he plans on using opening night for example it wasn't Jake DeBrusque with Bergeron and Zaka it was Fabian Lysel uh, which is really interesting because and he touched on it afterwards and basically said the idea is you know he wants to see what guys can do like in actual situations that they might have to step into down the line. Right. So Fabian Lysel, we know if he's going to play in the NHL, whether that's out of the gate this season or somewhere down the road, it's probably going to be in, you know, more of a top six scoring type role. So you throw him in with Bergeron and Zach and now, and basically let him see like, this is what it's like to play with Patrice Bergeron. You know, this is the pace that it's going to be at. This is, you know, these are the pucks he's going to get you, like all of that. So I think that makes sense. Obviously, at some point during training camp, you know, things will have to transition to actually getting guys chemistry with the lines you plan on using opening night. Um, but for now, this is the approach he's taken. And I think the other benefit of it is, uh, you know, it lets those young guys see like what the veterans, what the guys who have made it and established themselves in the NHL how they practice, how they go through drills. Like it's one thing when, you know, you finish your drill and then you're in line and you're kind of watching the other guys go. It's another when you're actually doing the drill with a Bergeron or a Pasternak or Krejci or whoever. And it's like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is how hard they go on drills. Like I better keep up. Um, yeah. So then uh, Montgomery said afterwards that pace was one of the, the biggest things he was looking for today. And it, it seemed to be there for the most part. It, they were pretty active, fast-moving sessions. Um, you know, we'll get into, like, some some other takeaways. I think there's a lot a lot of stuff around Johnny Beecher right now because Don Sweeney talked about him on Wednesday. We got to talk to Beecher today. But, uh, yeah, those are kind of my, my initial thoughts from day one. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's it's funny because the whole Lysel thing, obviously, um, you know, looking at the lines, they're not not even anywhere near what's going to be like opening day. But I think Montgomery alluded to the Lysel thing in August at the Jimmy Fund um, with Gresham Keefe when he was on with them. He alluded to wanting to try Lysel with Bergeron and give him a chance there um, now and probably in the preseason at some point um, and didn't rule out the fact that he could potentially see time there in the regular season with Marshawn out. Um, so I think as of, you know, the lines that you tweeted out, Scott, I I actually really like the idea of going Zaka Bergeron Lysel just day one to start just because you're Zaka and Bergeron have been working together now since since they both were came back for captain's practice and they've had a little bit of more time together. And then just throw Lysel in there and you're kind of looking at, you know, both guys that Zaka and Lysel that you might be throwing in at some point on that first line with Bergeron with Marshawn out. Um, so I'm totally cool with that. I like how that line looks. And then you, like you mentioned, there was like a group A and a group B today. And in group B, you also have the check line, which is uh, not to be confused with the checking line because it's not that <laughs> where they had Lauko, Krejci and Pasternak working together as well. So um, and then obviously you talk about Beecher. Beecher was with Felino and DeBrusque. So that obviously is a different looking line. Um, I, I like the the two top lines in each group, like you mentioned, the the Bergeron one and and the the Czech line, the Krejci one, um, in order to get a look at those guys. Yeah, and then just to quickly kind of run through it, the other lines featuring what well, we featuring guys we know are gonna be on the NHL roster. Uh Hall was with Stanika and Mark McLaughlin. Uh, Trent Frederick, Georgie Markulov, Craig Smith was a line that's, you know, kind of a weird and interesting combination. And then uh, Charlie Coyle was centering A.J. Greer and Oscar Steen. So Greer and Steen are, you know, two guys who we've talked we've talked about Steen uh, on here. We really haven't mentioned A.J. Greer at all, but he was the guy that the Bruins signed. Uh, who could be competing for a fourth-line job as well, had, you know, has really never stuck in the NHL, but had a career year in the AHL last year where, he, like, he scored, like, 30 goals or something and was a point-per-game player, had a really good year. Um, and then, it, it, and you mentioned Felino Beecher, DeBrusque. So, you know, a bunch of different combinations and it, just to kind of, you know, get guys some experience. And then, uh, Merlot was back. They had, they had a uh, colored jerseys for lines for the first time in, a, in at least a couple of years. Um, and there was like a whole group of, there were actually seven guys wearing Merlot and they were all in group B. So that was really fun to try to keep track of as they just cycled through the entire time. But like Chris Wagner, Thomas Nosek were both in that group. Um, I mean, they're probably the only ones that are like in real contention for an NHL roster spot. You also had, J.D. Greenway, Unicopinen, Vinny Letary, a couple others in there. Um, but, yeah, so you get, you know, you got a little bit of an idea of, like, what um, Jim Montgomery is going to be trying to do early on here. And, you know, what's really going to be interesting is once we get to Saturday night in that first preseason game, you know, how do the lines look then? Montgomery has already said it's going to be, a pretty young lineup for that first game. So you imagine, you know, the top veterans are not going to be going. We touched on this last time. Like generally they don't travel 
sometimes at all in the preseason, but certainly not for that first game. Um, but there could be a couple of veterans mixed in as well that Montgomery said he, you know, he didn't name them, but he said some veterans that he might want to get a little bit more of a look at. I mean, I'm just looking at these lines from today, and Scott, you had the benefit of being there in person to to, to watch it and see how it unfolded. But for as somebody who wasn't there, and I think I speak for obviously most people because unless you're in media credentialed or you're on a team, you're not seeing because there wasn't much video um, footage from training camp today. Um, so with that said, I'm looking at these lines and I have no idea how they come up with these combinations. You guys just said, I have no idea what they're looking for out of these combinations. I understand it's training camp and it's day one and you have the team split up into two groups. With that said, I was very surprised by the lack of duo combinations in these lines. Like what you saw with Bruce Cassidy for years and Claude before him, Coaches historically like to try to group two two forwards together that they know have chemistry. They want to at least see if they can build chemistry and then find out who that third that third um, line mate would be. And I don't see any. I don't see. I just don't see these pairs. Um, you know, like why Frederick Merkulov and Smith? I just. I, what do you try to find out of that? You have three um, guys that are going in totally different directions and different. They're, they're playing different roles for you on probably different lines. And throw, I. I don't get it. I'm you not know. gonna lie. I like it. I, no, I like that he just kind of like scrambled. <laughs> just, sure. Like, I'm sure. kind of like I'm one of those people that you remember when the NHL had the lockout and like guys went and played in Germany and different places, and I'm like sitting here like waiting to turn turn on this like all German broadcast in order to watch like two guys that have never played together play together because, you know, the NHL is in a lockout, but I want to see Patrick Kane play with, you know, whoever else that he's never played with before. So um, I'm cool with just, you know, shuffle them up, throw them together. And it looked like there was like some, obviously like some semblance to it. Like a lot of the lines were two veterans and one rookie. Um, and so like, obviously Zaka Bergeron, Lysel, uh, you know, Merkelov and Sanika, two, two young centers that had, uh, you know, guys, to the to their left and right that have had NHL experience before, um, even though McLaughlin hasn't had too much. Um, I mean, the Greer Coilstein one is is a little bit different than the others. I don't know. I kind of liked it. I'm like, you know what? Try it. It's, it's day one. Just yeah. roll with it. See if yeah. it's because Merkelov. The thing about him is like he has a lot of skill. I don't know if you guys saw the video of him. Uh, it was like a penalty shot that he was doing and he, he just did this most, the most insane move. They, I think the Bruins posted it somewhere a day or two ago. Um, and he, he's someone who's been reported to have a lot of skill, Scott, but just like maybe not quite ready yet. So um, just interesting he, to see him with someone like Smith. Yeah. Mer- Merkulov definitely has uh two way work to do specifically as work to do defensively, especially if he's going to be, you know, a center at the NHL level. Um, I will also note before we get like too carried away with the lines that line rushes, I would say were a relatively small part of today's practices. I think they, they definitely did a couple drills as full lines, but not a ton. There was also a lot of like uh, two on ones, two on two drills. And speaking of Merkulov, he did a couple of those two on two drills with Taylor Hall. So that was, another example of like throw the skill guys together and see what happens, right? Like Georgie Markulov projects as a skill guy in the NHL. So I don't know, have him do some rushes with Taylor Hall and see how he keeps up. 
Um, Brian, to your point, like I think there's there could actually be some of those two man groups like within this. Like Zach and Bergeron, we know are going to be together. Krejci and Postenark, we know are going to be together. I wonder if that Frederick Merkulov Smith does that tip us off that maybe um, Montgomery's leaning towards Frederick being back in that third line left wing spot early on, uh, you know, until everyone's held, until Marshan comes back. Maybe. Um, Greer and Steen together, two guys who, again, could end up on the fourth line or battling for, for fourth line jobs. Um, Felino beach of DeBrusque that, that one kind of stands as like the oddest, but maybe there's, there's a scenario where, you know, beach is the fourth line center and he's on a line with Felino. So, you know, I think there's, it almost seems like controlled chaos to me where there's like a little bit of reason to it, but there's certainly, you know, a good amount of yeah. like, yeah, just kind of throw it in the blender and, like, see what guys can do. As someone who was there watching, you know, was there a standout, like, or, or or maybe something you learned about maybe one of these younger players that you didn't know going into this? Like, maybe some a little bit of extra, you know, that their game had that you you weren't aware of? Um, Probably not in one day. Uh, you know, Ask me again next week, and I might have a much better idea. I will say a couple of things that stood out. I thought we might as well get into Johnny Beecher now because I thought he looked good, and so did Jim Montgomery. Uh, he was asked about him after practice, and he said he thought he looked really good. And, you know, it it ties into the conversation about, like, does Johnny Beecher fit now, and what does he project as longer term? And Don Sweeney you know, was asked about him on Wednesday and said he thinks a lot of the coverage, a lot of the rhetoric around Johnny Beecher has been unfair, which on the one hand, it's like, well, of course the guy who drafted him the first round is going to say that he didn't score a lot of call score much in college. We've, we've gone over this before. Um, but to, if you want to say there's like extenuating circumstances, yes, he battled a bunch of injuries in college. And then this past season, he was on the third line in a little bit more of a checking defensive role on a team that was loaded up with, you know, the likes of Matty Beneers and, and Kent Johnson and, you know, on, on down the line in their top six. Um, but his production was still, it was below half a point per game, which isn't great for someone who, you know, if you're looking at someone who could project as like an NHL scorer, generally that production isn't going to, that's not going to translate to NHL, you know, scoring. Um, but Sweeney said they they still think this is more offense in his game. And Beecher made a point to work on his shot this offseason. And the early returns seemed to be encouraging. He scored three goals in the prospects challenge in Buffalo, one in each game. Uh, you know, first day of practice here, I thought he looked good. He seemed to take some shots with purpose. You know, I think he, he was – pretty aggressive, like in some battle drills. Um, so we'll see, you know, I think getting him into some preseason games will be a good test, get him, in, you know, playing against some NHL players, especially these road games where the home team's probably going to play most of their regular lineup, like get him some of that experience and see, you know, does it translate there? Um, 
but the, the early returns are encouraging. I thought he had a really good first day, and uh, Jim Montgomery seemed to seem to agree as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think you can tell by the seven man rotation that they have no sick and Wagner not on an assigned line. Uh, I definitely think that you're seeing the uh, the opportunity that we hope that they would see. Um, they're getting they're getting the opportunity to get some looks, um, you know, alongside some NHL players, Beecher in particular. Um, but just jumping back real quick, just to finish. Well, Brid- everything on uh, on Beecher, Bridget. Uh, no, kind of a side point. So go ahead. Um. So it's just the the point I was making about the duos real quick was that. It's a short camp, and a lot of people have made comments. Don Sweeney's made comments, and Montgomery's made comments about how the NHL training camps have really shortened over the years, and it's only like two and a half weeks, um, maybe just under three weeks long. And with um, with the magnifying glass on Marsh and out to start the year and just needing to have that chemistry, I was just surprised that if you want to jumble the lines around, I'm all for it in preseason. Give, give some kids that you probably – don't think we're going to make the team a chance to play with NHL players in camp and give them a, a chance to succeed in camp. But I don't know. I wouldn't have minded seeing all three of Krejci, Pasternak, and Hall together. I mean, they have to form some really strong chemistry. So I, I just I don't see the benefit of giving you know Jacob Lauko a, a spot on that left wing, even in day one of training camp when he's not going to be there. Like it, it, To me, it was a wasted opportunity for – and I know it's one day, but – you don't have time when the season starts to you want to build that now. Krejci's been gone for a year. I know he has instant chemistry, fine, but Krejci, Hall, and Pashnak have not been aligned. So, you know, I just I I know Lauko stuck up for Lysel in the rookie camp. Great, um, that's not a realistic line combination. So I would have liked to see at least those three together. Uh, I had no issue with 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 Zaka, Bergeron, and Lysel. But again, you know, if you think that. Zaka, Bergeron, and DeBrusque are going to be the one of your top two lines when the year starts. They have never played together before. I know it's day one. I'm sure on day two when they actually condense it, you know, into more of the what they might think the final roster combination might be. They'll they'll do that stuff. I get it. But a day is a day, and I know Scott. You said that there was line rushes that primarily took place today. It wasn't a ton of line versus lines. I just thought that you there was I don't know. I wanted there were a couple of threesomes I just wanted to see together on day one. I want to I want them to get every chance they can to build chemistry because they're gonna need these guys. Those top two lines. Why why are we putting Loco there just just for kicks on day one? Like s- stick him down in the seven man rotation with the other guys or put it put him with you know Kurt, uh, Curtis Hall and you know Asselin, whatever the hell his name is. Like you know I'm, I, why, why why that's Taylor Hall's spot. It's going to be him, Pashnak, and Krejci to start the year. Put them together. Let's not dick around with, you know, stupid combinations. I, I get it here and there, but there were certain combinations I wanted to see out of the gate. And you're going to have them together on day two. Why not start on day one? So that was my only I'll, takeaway from, from the combinations. I found it a little annoying, a little annoying at how at how random it was. As much as Scott justified it like 10 minutes ago. Um, well, the, I, I also, I, I look at it this way. I look at it like, Okay, yeah, you're gonna put Lauka with Krejci and Pasternak. That's not gonna be a combination, but it's sh- like it's just that there's already confidence that that line isn't gonna like you know have a whole lot of struggles out of the gate. So it's just like Montgomery showing that he's got confidence that when it is Hall, Krejci, Pasternak, and when it is Zaka, Bergeron, DeBrusque, there's one day is not gonna make a difference in the grand scheme of things. He's just confident that that those pairings are gonna end up 
um, how he expects. Wow. I also think that a, a reason to do it this way the first day too is they're letting guys play their natural positions this way. Like if you look at the way the groupings were, obviously, um, you know, Merkulov, Stanika, those guys, they're pl- they're allowed to play center, um, even though they probably if they crack into the lineup, they're that's probably not where they're going to end up playing. So they're the way that they have it set up. Everybody's playing pretty much their natural positions. And they're also, when you're putting Lauka with Krejci and Pasenak, you're kind of starting everybody off with like, okay, this is the, this is what we expect from you. And even when you're not playing with Krejci, you know, tomorrow, this is what we expect from you. Um, is kind of how I look at it. Like, okay, you're going to go through it with the veterans and see how they do it and try to take that throughout the rest of camp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get Brian's point and I like, I think it's fair to an extent that, yeah, like, you know, why not just go with the combinations you expect from day one? Um, I guess I would be more, to me, like if you get two weeks of your lines together going into the season and say, you know, two preseason games, like I think that's probably enough, especially where these guys, most of these guys are veterans and a lot of them have played together before, by, by the way. Um, I don't think that it's that big of a deal if you, you know, don't take advantage of like the first week or whatever. But I guess I would say, like, if we get halfway through camp or where, you know, a week and a half up from the season and we still haven't seen the lines we expect to see opening night, I, I would start to wonder, like, boy, this is, this is like, really odd at this point. Um, but off from for day one, if even if this lasts for the first week or so, like, through, say, the second preseason game on, on Tuesday, it, do, it doesn't bother me. Like, I, I don't think... I don't know that like with veterans like this, you necessarily need, you know, three, three and a half weeks together um, to find something before the regular season. Because the other thing that can happen is like, if you keep the same lines together for the entire camp or preseason is like, sometimes you can almost start to lose that chemistry. Like things can start to slip where it's like, if you're just doing the same stuff every day or you're with the same people every day, you know, it's like, all right, like we've been doing this, you know, what's, like, okay, we're, we're ready to go. And you kind of start to, sometimes you can like start to lose focus that way. Even, you know, you hope would hope not with the veterans on this team, but like it can happen. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to explain away something that doesn't really make sense, but I'm not super worried about it unless it lasts for like two more weeks. Don't, 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 don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not worried. And I don't, and I don't think not that I think you think I'm worried, and I, and I don't think it's a big deal. Don't worry, Brian. Just don't. Just don't worry. <laughs> I, you I, worry about the jerseys. Right? No, no, we'll get to that in a minute. I, I don't. I obviously know it's not a big deal that on day one of training camp. That, I think uh, what Brian's saying is that this is the worst thing that a Boston coach is doing <laughs> right now. No, <laughs> yeah. No, I just find it. Look, there is the bottom six needs to be figured out. You want to tinker with those combinations till the till the opening night. I'm all for it. And into the season, I'm all for it. Like, you know, mix and match all those guys. You can't tell me why it's more beneficial to have Love go on that line in day one than Hall. It doesn't help you. I'm not saying it hurts you, but it doesn't help you anymore. And don't forget, like, you have you have a new coach, you have a new system, 
You have a guy who hasn't been in the league for a year. It, there's, it's not. Yes, these guys are going to be fine. They don't need all of training camp to be, you know, together every single hour. I just that one in particular. I just didn't. I just don't get it. And I, I just, I'd like to see the guys, those guys, play together from day one. And if they go stale because they're together for a couple of extra days in preseason, then you know you're in for a long regular season. I just, uh, I just think that Montgomery is really trying to play. You know, good cop. Everybody, everybody gets the trophy here. Like you, you play with him. You play. With, he's trying. He's trying to. He's trying to embody what he was advertised as. It's a fresh start. You know what, Nikki Felino, get up there with Hall and 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 then Pasta. I want you set her in the second line here. You know what? Hey, Aslan, you get up here with Bergie and uh and DeBrusque. Everybody, everybody gets a shot today. No, no, no. no. Focus on <laughs> focus on the key guys that you want together when the puck drops. And get them together right away. Figure it out. Now, Lysel, to be fair, Lysel could play his way into the tops. Like you never know. Like he could play. He could outplay somebody in preseason. But I think he's going to start in Providence. So um, he's going to get his chance to shine in, in, in preseason games and top roles. I, I'm, I'm not. I don't care about Lysel with 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 uh, Zaka and Bergeron. Like DeBrus is going to be up there soon enough. But they do have to all get chemistry. So it's a new coach, new system, new line combinations. Honestly, and. I just want them to hit the ground running, and I just, you know, I know today is day one. I think my point about day one is getting a little overblown. I, I, it was more of an observation for me because, like, I noticed that like you have all these random line combinations, and then you have a couple of regulars, quote unquote, like like uh, Nosek, who's like not even in the line combination. He's just rotating through, which, <clears throat> like I said, I think is a good sign because I think that means that it sends the message that there are no. Uh, gimmies for those bottom six forwards, specifically those bottom three forwards. Like that's you're not you have to earn that, and I actually like that message. But um, again, not being there, looking at all I could see was the same you know thirty beat writers typing out the same line combinations, and I I just kept looking at like Lauko on that line. I was like, why is he there? It's it was annoying to me. It's like because Hall, Krejci, and Pasta like they need to be your first line, especially in the first few months, but maybe all year. It's like. Why are you putting that off till tomorrow? Just get them together now. So that I just found that annoying. It's not a big deal. Like they'll be fine. They'll be probably together tomorrow. Um, but you know, it's 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 we have one day to talk about training camp. So I just wanted to to make that point. Um, that's all. That's all. So um, another another point to bring up, just because you know we're talking about all the guys that were skating and um, you know how everybody lined up. But um, McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Marshawn were all skating prior to practice over the past well, few yeah they, they so they've all been out there at some point yeah so today it was to, grizzly today was just grizzly out yesterday out was morning. yes was it yesterday that was marshawn um i believe i don't remember which day was which but at some all three have been on the ice at some I, point this week yeah so i just saw a um friend of the pod Andrew Raycroft uh, tweeted out uh, his take, which is uh, watching McAvoy, Grizzly, and Marshawn skate the last two days makes me believe we'll see them earlier than expected. And Scott Grizzly did give an update on how he's been feeling today. Yeah, so he said he feels pretty good. He started, so uh, I was there because we're going to get to the uh, the jersey sponsor that. They did nice and early at, at 8 a.m. So I was there early today. Um, so I got to see Grizzly out there and he was doing some shooting. And 
you know, wasn't taking slap shots, but it looked pretty good. And I asked him, uh, you know, have you been shooting for a while or is that fairly recent? He said Monday was the first day he would, he had started shooting again. Uh, obviously, you know, if anyone had forgotten, it was a shoulder surgery. So shooting is one of the big steps that you take recovering from that. Um, so he hasn't taken slap shots yet. Obviously that's a little more force. So, you know, he still, he said that he doesn't have like an exact day that he's targeting, which is a little different. You know, Brad Marshall, we talked to last week and he like did almost have like a specific day. He was like the last one of like the last few days of November. Like he had a very kind of narrowed timeline he was aiming for. Um, but Grizz, like we kind of expect maybe end of October or, or early November, you know, his is supposed to be more um, returning kind of like around the one month mark of the season. But he did say that he feels like he's progressed a little faster than he thought he was, than he was anticipating. Like he feels like he's really made good progress. And, um, you know, he said like everything's getting more and more comfortable as he goes, uh, you know, less pain, less soreness, like even just waking up if he sleeps on the shoulder or something. Um, yeah, but it, you know, he talked about like just, just how painful it was last year. And, you know, you could, by the end of, by the playoffs, you could definitely see it in his play that it was clearly affecting him. And it, it really kind of just got worse and worse as that season went on. I mean, he suffered the injury in January on like a kind of a hit from behind by Pierre-Luc Dubois of Winnipeg, if if people remember that. So he was dealing with it from, from then on and it just kept getting worse. Um, so, you know, and the other thing I asked him is like, you know, did, did you learn anything from it or is there anything you take from it in terms of protecting yourself to try to prevent this from something like this from happening again? And, and he said, yeah, there is that like he, you know, he looked at video of it uh, and even video of how he played afterwards when he was, you know, trying to shield himself a little more. And, you know, that he's talked to uh, Montgomery and, and John Gruden, the new D coach, uh, just about, you know, not putting himself in bad positions because I thought it was a bad hit by Dubois. Like I said at the time, I thought it was from behind. But Grizzly had also kind of put himself in a vulnerable spot where he went into the corner and kind of had his back turned and his arm like outstretched a bit. And it, it was a position where like if you get hit in that position, you're going to be in some pain. And so we talked about, you know, just being smarter about going into the corner, knowing when a hit's coming, making sure he's not in like a bad position. So, you know, we, we know like, look, he's, he's dealt with injuries in the past and he's got to find a way to stay healthy if he's going to, especially come playoffs, right? That's been, that's been an issue for him. He's been one of those guys where we talk about the Bruins always seeming to have injuries on defense. Like he's been one of those guys that's happened to a couple times now. So, you know, finding a way to stay healthy and, and be able to finish the season strong is going to be huge for him. And, you know, you don't, you don't need him out there taking big hits. Like he's, he's great on his feet. He can, when he's playing his best hockey, he can avoid hits without doing something dumb with the puck, like without just giving away the puck, he can just be more agile than anyone closing in on him. So, you know, he has the ability to do it, but you know, obviously there's still, 
these times where he kind of slips up and gets himself caught in those bad spots. Bridget, you have anything on Grizz? Yeah, a few things. So um, if he's progressing quicker or he feels like he's progressing somewhat quicker than um, expected, the original timetable that they laid out when he got the shoulder surgery done back in May, what or was, was it June? was um it was may it was may um was yeah early may um was that it was going to take a five it was going to be about a five month recovery and um mcavoy was listed as six months so i think it's safe to say that grizzlick will still be the first of those three um you know uh, with mcavoy and marsh and also you know going to be missing some time that grizzlick will be the first one back of the three um and so, yeah, I think maybe a little sooner than five months after the day of surgery, but I, I still think it's it's going to be probably first week November. Is that the timeline that you're understanding, Scott? Yeah, I think all along it's been late October, early November, and yeah. it seems like that's probably because still, you could in, still, still you, in play. Yeah, you could still be cr- progressing quicker than you thought you were and still be cautious and stay out of the lineup just to uh, to the – normal recovery time um, unless it's like looking like the Bruins are really needing some defensive help and just need to, you know, interject the, the lineup back with him as soon as he um, feels ready to go. But so, yeah, so the timeline still looks like McAvoy, Grizzlick first, then McAvoy, then Marshawn from what I believe. I, I think obviously Grizzlick is a welcomed addition back whenever he's ready, but I wouldn't rush him at all, especially considering no. his inability to stay healthy throughout the course of a season. And you know, I think I think Hampus Lindholm and, and Mike Riley, Jacob Saboral, I think those three in particular have a great opportunity to to lead um, lead their transition game without McAvoy and without without Grizzlick. And you know, Jack Ashan, I'm sure will get a you know an opportunity at, at one point or another. So. You have some. You have some. They did make some D signings, like the, the Connor Carrick is somebody they signed. I mean, you have you have Zaboral is an addition because he was out most of last year. Um, as I just said, uh, Jack Ashan is there. You have Clifton and and and, and Forbert. You have some, you have some guys. Obviously, Brandon Carlo or one of these days, Jim Montgomery is gonna he's going to get his name correct. I know he, he he was calling him Brandon Carlson a few times and I think he's a little, I think he's a little nervous in his first uh his first press presser he was he didn't know if he wanted to call the guys by their nicknames or whatnot. He got a little tripped up, but um he spoke to how, how important he's going to be this year and and uh there's there's some more to his game offensively. So I think that hopefully like McAvoy's the guy I'm looking at in the back end. I I'm looking when when they get McAvoy back. I'm not I'm not so concerned about Grizz. Like I think he's a nice player. I don't think he's the end all be all for this team. I think there's guys that can step up. Like I said, I think Jacob Saboral can really, if he can stay healthy, really really take a step forward. Um, I like Grizz. Like I really do. But I'm just when I look at the back end, I'm I'm looking at when's McAvoy coming back. Um, obviously I'll welcome Grizzly back, but if he's not ready, don't put him in. Um, so. Like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to discredit Grizz. Like I think he's an awesome player, but McAvoy and Marshand are the two that I they gotta get those guys back, and I think they can do just fine without Grizz. Like in the meantime, um, as far as him being able to stay healthy, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can take better angles. Yeah, your offside D partner can can get in the way of incoming four checkers. Yeah, your forwards can can try to make some some moving picks, but I don't know, man. He always just seems to. 
he always looks over his shoulder. He knows where the traffic is coming, but then by the time he gets to the puck, you know, he's always he's such an he's such a great skater. He's always trying to make a play. And a lot of times when you have a defenseman who just wants to shuffle the shuffle the puck along and get it out of harm's way, those guys are able to kind of absorb hits more because the puck's off their stick now. But Grizzly always has the puck on a stick. And when when you have the puck in your stick, it's tougher to brace for contact. And there are some big boys in the NHL that are gunning for him. So hopefully, hopefully he can find a way to stay healthy. But it's it's going to be easier said than done because every year he's taken some tough hits. And yes, it's bad hits. And yes, like Scott said, it's also you know him putting himself in a bad position, just like Brandon Carly was a turn at the last second. You cannot do that. And uh, and, and Grizzly has a he has he has a tendency to get low to like low to the dash when he's like when he's retrieving pucks he because defenses don't want the puck to go over their stick when it's, when it's rimmed around, so you try to get nice and low and, and whatnot, and when you're not that big of a guy to start with, it, it makes you vulnerable. Um, but if he's going to be back sooner than the other guys and he's ready to be back, we'll welcome him back. I just want him to be ready to go and not feel like he's being rushed at all. You know what I mean? I think it's I think so far, though, like no setbacks is just the good news in general. No setbacks that we've heard of from from any of the three. So um, if they think they're going to be a little early, that's great. If they think they're going to be on time, that's also great. As long as there's not been like a, a setback, huge setback in their recovery or all of a sudden something looks, uh, you know, that there's a little extra that they didn't expect. Um but no, as of right now, the fact they've all been skating and kind of going through the progressions of where they should be, um, uh, you know, in terms of shooting. And for Marshawn is for Marshawn, it's more the skating because he's got he's dealing with two hip surgeries. But, um, you know, as long as they're feeling like they're they're on track, uh, the Bruins getting them back in, you know, late October to late November, um, they, they should be OK with with the timelines as they are. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Bruins. I really do. I, oh, I like, know. So. I know so. I was talking to some people in this office yesterday that said Bruins aren't going to make the playoffs. I was like, what? Are, what, are, yeah. what are we talking about here? What do we I mean, know? <laughs> even even without McAvoy and and Marshan to start the year, like they 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 got a lot. They got a they got a pretty deep roster. Now, is the roster long term as stable as it is right now? No. Like like who knows what the roster is going to look like next year, the year after? But right right now, you look at you look at the roster. It's, it's Especially when it's healthy, it's fairly it's fairly deep. It really is. So I think it is. It's a deep roster when it's healthy, and it's like I'm trying to like understand how someone could try to argue with me that this roster is worse than last year's roster. Like I I didn't I just like ended the conversation because I was like this. I don't know how you're gonna try to make this argument right now. Yeah, there, there's no chance. Like there's no way and, to make and, that unless, argument unless a bunch of guys beyond like the. If you wanted to say their opening night roster is worse than last year, sure, obviously. You don't have yeah, Marshawn and McAvoy. Obviously. But, but yeah, we're talking like, about someone who thinks that as, like, just consider them healthy, they, they don't have a chance to make the playoffs. Like, I can't even have that conversation with you. Yeah. By the way, it's funny, like, because you mentioned, you know, people sleeping on them. I saw um, Dom Lucision of The Athletic, who's, like, their big stats guy. Uh, him and a couple of the other athletic writers, they're doing like their rundown of um, their rankings of all 32 teams. And I think they're only up to 20, number 25 right now, but he had a tweet today seen, saying, absolutely pains me to say this, but I think folks are sleeping on the Bruins this year. So he's, he's not, he's not a Bruins fan, but 
Clearly not, because it pains him to say me, it. Yeah, that that tells me that like his his analytics and all his numbers are probably spitting out a, a pretty good record for the Bruins. Well, and and also, and obviously, there's going to be a, a podcast later on where we'll give our you know predictions and whatnot. But I just think it's a combination of people people thinking that the Bruins are a bunch of dinosaurs. Um, are they the youngest team in the league in certain positions? No, but it's a combination of that. They're starting the year behind the eight ball health wise. And I think people are really, really underestimating just how much Florida is going to regress this year. Like you lose Huberto, you lose Wegar. They lost a couple other, you know, glue guys too. And yeah, they got Kachuk, but you look at Florida's blue line after Ekblad now that Wegar is gone, Ekblad who has injury issues too, but like, but beyond him, their blue line is not that great. They've lost some depth up front, and they had a magical run last year and like great until the playoffs. I think people are underestimating how much Tampa might come back down to the pack. Like they've had, a, they've played a lot of hockey the last three, four years, and they also lost some key guys. Um, yeah, I used to love Hedman and Point and and uh, and Kucherov and Stamkos and Vasilevsky. You have those core five. You're 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 sitting pretty, but they lost some key guys too. And I think people are putting the 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 cart before the horse when it comes to Ottawa. Like I think Ottawa has a lot of promise. I think they have a bright future, um, but they're already anointing them like a top three team. And I don't know. It's just I think the Bruins are being slept on a little bit. And um, Anyway, we'll save that for for a later podcast. I don't even know why I brought that up because there were a couple other things we had to get to as well. By the way, before we we hit out of here, um, we also haven't spoken since Chara retired. We actually spoke right before the last time we spoke. We were speculating that maybe Subban and Chara were PTOs actually, yeah, and they both retired. Those, yeah, that was one of those times where it was like we talked about it and then like immediately after yeah. it was like done deal. We didn't re-record because it no. wasn't as big a deal as uh, the whole time Cassidy got fired and we had to re-record, but um, no. It, it had about a good 12-hour run. If people uh, listened to it before they went to bed, then... then yeah. And it was, only, it was only the last thing we talked about, but yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, it's Subit. Maybe it's Subit. Maybe it's Tara. They both retire <laughs> next yeah. morning. I was like, but well, it I, wasn't we that. Didn't, we didn't even mention Keith Yandel. Right. He retired. Yeah, Keith Yandel retired. Yandel yeah. as well. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people... The question has been asked a lot in the last like few days, like within the market, out of the market, like what what did like what was Char's impact in Boston? And like I think speaking for myself, I think there's obviously a lot of um, X's and O's and and tangible things that we can go into um, about how he impacted the Bruins on and off the ice and um, and whatnot. But for me, like I guess what I would say is his impact in Boston was immeasurable because like you know it's the beauty about sports is it's it's it goes beyond the game right it's it's not just what happens on the ice on the field on the court whatever it's like it's all about like the memories you make with friends and family like watching these teams and and uh, obviously the, the the memories you know he's he's helped create in boston you know in households around new england for the last you know 12 years and specifically getting you know winning a stanley cup i mean how many how many how, how many how many living rooms in the region have Frame pictures of the Bruins winning the cup or pictures of them and their family at the parades. Like when you have when you when you're able to be a part of a winning team, like you create a lot of joy for people in ways that you don't you don't even know because it's you're being welcomed into their homes, you're in their memories forever. So, 
you know, he when they when they Scott mentioned it before, like like how uncommon it is to rebuild through free agency. And obviously when they brought in Savard and Chara, like there was still more building to happen, but that kind of ignited it. And that was kind of around when they drafted Krejci and Martian and Lucic and Kessel. Bergeron was already drafted, but those guys, for the most part, weren't on the team yet. So, um, you know, it all started with him and the Savard coming in, really. And uh, so like, it's really tough to quantify what he meant to the region. It was just a, you know, guy's a one-of-a-kind player and just great, great person. So it was an honor to kind of watch him as, as a Bruins fan, you know. And it, yeah. he didn't pull a Tom Brady. <laughs> no. He came back and he signed his one day contract and, you know, it ends how it sh- like how like it's a happy ending. Like it ended how it should have ended. Yeah. I mean, he like absolutely changed everything. I mean, you think about like where the Bruins were that 2006 off season and it was not a good place that, you know, they had had that promising season in 03 04, just before the lockout, you thought, okay, like, you know, this is a younger kind of a younger core. Like there's some really promising stuff here. Then they come out of the lockout and it's just a mess. Like 0506 was a disaster. And, you know, they had the whole contract snafu with Joe Thorne where like, it looked like they weren't going to get a deal done. Then they actually get a deal done, but things are still not good. And they end up trading them. Uh, you know, you trade Samsonov later in the season that closes the door on, on that era, you know, th- we for a long time it, we thought people hoped that you know those two were going to be kind of the, the pillars that you built around Thornton, Thorn specifically, um, but it wasn't. And so now you have, you have this team that missed the playoffs by I think it was eighteen points, and doesn't really, aside from Bergeron, doesn't really seem to have like any core player that you're building around. So you go out and you get those guys in free agency and just the way, you know, sometimes I think when like sports teams talk about culture, sometimes it can be overblown, but in like that case of what the Bruins needed at that time, I don't think you can possibly over, you know, overstate it. Like they needed someone to really just kind of be like, this is how we're doing things. And Chower was that guy. Like he, he wanted to be captain. I think that was, you know, an important part of his free agency. And, the, the Bruins put their faith in, in him and, and he rewarded them. Like he was exactly what that team needed. And it's, you know, you talk about like all those core guys from the 2011 cup team who are kind of just starting to break through then, or, you know, over the next couple of years. And it's like, you wonder if, if Char is not there, does it never mind the impact on the eyes of, you know, you'd be short your Norris trophy defenseman, but do those guys develop as well? If there's not, him leading the way, setting, setting that culture. Like, you know, I think, I think Patrice Bergeron has always had uh, a great leader somewhere inside him, but if you're making him team captain at, you know, 21, 22 years old or something like, is he ready for it then? Because Bergeron has been very clear about how much he's, he learned from Chara and how much Chara helped him develop into a leader. So. Well, and think about the the development of Grizzly and McAvoy. Um, like you look at some of the young defensemen that the Bruins have, you know, now, obviously they've pretty much franchised McAvoy, like the, some of these younger defensemen that the Bruins developed homegrown that Char was able to mentor. And McAvoy was one of the, you know, the people that was most excited when uh, at that press conference where 
Chara signed his one day contract and, you know, McAvoy put up on his own social media, how much Chara meant to his development and growth um, when he came into the system. And when you don't have a guy like that, you know, some of the guys that the Bruins, those younger guys, they were able to bring them in and at the end of the regular season and at the beginning of the playoffs in some cases and integrate them right away into the lineup. You don't get to do that kind of thing when you don't have someone like Chara there to kind of guide them along the way um, when they first enter the league and, and get them in the right position from, you know, the beginning to then. Even even like Tori Krug, like it, you look back at some of the guys that he's worked with and you just know that he's impacted their game. And so even though he doesn't play in the NHL anymore and even though he doesn't play for the Bruins anymore, Chara's impact still on the team, um, even now after he officially retires, which had been speculated for a little bit, but he went out the right way with the Bruins, you know, signing the one day contract with the team. And uh, really there, there was never really any stories, guys, that I can remember where it was like, you know, why, you know, there, there was never any negative stories around the guy. He was just always a class class act. Yeah. Except for when Montreal called the police on him. That was, yeah, <laughs> that was Montreal being, th- those people yeah. were being, um, yeah. Pacioretty. He tried to murder Pacioretty. Um, so, Bridget, I know you're on a tight schedule. I guess we'll just... Yeah, I gotta go. Quick comment, Scott, on the... Um, and, Bridget, if you have to take off, you can take off. Uh, quick comment, Scott, on the uh, on the, the New Jersey advertisements. Or, Bridget, I will throw first. my comment in first, and then I'm gonna hit the yeah, road. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I saw the reveal today. Last night, we got a text from Brian that was like, ah, I'm so mad right now. I wish I could have seen the look on Brian's face uh, at that time. But, mm-hmm. and I said, and I said, like, oh, eventually they're gonna... the Jerseys are going to end up looking like a NASCAR, like race car with all the the signage. You're not even going to be able to see the B anymore. But no, they got, they come out, they reveal it today. And it's just this tiny little thing in the corner on the shoulder. And it's like black and white. And it's really not that noticeable. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. I know Brian has stronger feelings, but I'm just going to leave it with, it could have been a lot worse and yeah. that I'll get over it. Yeah, no, it's, it, it I hate the idea of it. I think it's the most annoying thing in the world um, that they feel the need to put any logos on ads on their jerseys. There's everything about the league is advertised. Everything, even their helmets. I hate the green TD logo. I'm used to it. I hate seeing green on their helmets. It's annoying as hell. I've always seen when it comes to this stuff. That said, I mean, like I said, they literally play in the TD Garden. Um, which is the name of, you know, the, their arena. Every every ice, part of the ice is covered in, in, you know, behind the nets and the neutral zones, the boards, all that stuff. You know, everything is sponsored on TV with the graphics and even the graphics on the ice, all that shit. But I will say um, they did it about as subtle as you possibly could. I, um, I don't like the idea of the ads on the juries. I think it's, I don't like it. That said, if they had to do it, they couldn't have done it in a in a more subtle, um, you know, respectful way to not to, to not distract from the jersey. I was you know I was quite nervous. It was going to be like a big giant you know, not giant but a big green TD Bank logo or a, you know an a, uh, an orange and pink Dunkin' Donuts thing, and I was ready to you know jump through a wall. Um, I I can honestly tell you I was not expecting Rapid Seven, although they are neighbors on on Causeway Street, but. Um, you know, it's subtle. Another thing that kind of talked me off the edge was that uh, Gary Bettman was quoted, and you know, um, or some one of the league representatives was quoted about about the league advertisements on or advertisements on the jerseys, and 
fan concerns about what Bridget said and turning it to NASCAR and this and that. And uh, the guys, the, the, the NHL representative said that Bettman and the league have no plans and no desire to to go beyond one ad on the jerseys and that they will, and that it's, they're very cognizant of not, um, you know, being respectful of, of the logos and the jerseys of these franchises that some go back a hundred years. So I think this is probably where the Buick will stop is, is the one on the jersey on, on the shoulder. If they continue the program long term. I, I, I think it's an annoying concept, but the Bruins, um, they did a good job. And Cam Neely was quoted about back like a month or two ago that if they were to do this program that because he wore the Bruins Jersey, he knows how important it is to, you know, to the fans, to the players, not to, you know, mess with that. And he said that whatever we decide to go with, if we do go with something, they would make an effort to make sure it matched team colors and was subtle. And um, they did just that. So maybe not the outrage you thought I was going to have, Scott, but it's uh, they they contained it for me because they didn't they didn't go overboard. No, yeah, I was expecting steam. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, on that last point, like, from my understanding is it, everyone definitely has Cam Neely to thank for it being as subtle as it is. Like, this is going to happen no matter what. Like, whether it was this year or next year, I think it's it's probably going to be about a dozen or so teams that have them this year. This is the first year you're allowed to. But by next year, it's expected to be the majority of the league. Um, so it was going to happen at some point. And I think Neely really did take the lead on, like, it's not going to be any other colors. It's not going to be, like, a patch with a background behind it. It's going to be, you know, a word or a logo in black and white. And, like, I think that was, like, the deal going in. It was, like, like if – there was a company that was going to demand, you know, our colors or whatever, like they just weren't going to be considered. Yeah. Um, you know, and like this, this rapid seven, which by the way, anyone who knew of rapid seven before this morning, congratulations. Um, I, I had not heard of them, I, but uh, I, I knew because one of my friends works there. Gotcha. Yep. Oh, he didn't give you the inside scoop. No, what the hell? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knew. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so like like Rapid Seven's logo, like their actual logo has orange behind the seven, but that was never going to get onto the jersey. Um, yeah, my whole take on it is I, I've had this philosophy for years now, and it's basically just wherever people can put advertising, there will eventually be advertising there. And I just think like the sooner you accept that, the more peaceful your life becomes because you just don't care. Like I just – I. Never got worked up about the helmets. I didn't get worked up when the Celtics threw the GE logo on on their uniforms. I don't care about this. Like, it's just, I have long ago accepted it. Like, I even, we, I've, you know, people who listen long enough know I'm a so- big soccer fan. Like, we soccer fans, somehow we accepted the reverse of, like, what these jerseys are. Like, we, soccer fans ex- have somehow accepted the logo is the big part on the front of the Jersey and the team crest just goes like up in the corner where, uh, you know, where these little shoulder patches are like, that's, you know, that's even crazier. And yet like, no one seems to care. Like I, I'm a Manchester city fan. I, I'll walk around with freaking Eddie hat, Etsy hat airways across the chest. Like, well, yeah. like I'm, I'm a fan of like some United Arab Emirates airline. Like it's, 
it's, it's insane, it, but yeah. I just, uh, I long ago gave up. It's it's going to happen, and there's going to be more. They're going to find more places to put advertisements. At some point, we're going to have more on the ice. Like, it's going to look more like Europe where you have them, like, advertisements, you know, inside the circles and stuff. It's just just telling you, just accept it, so, and, and you'll be at hold peace. On, hold on. Pump the brakes for a second, Yoda. So just because you <laughs> are a uh, – you're a, you're, a, you're a trained soccer fan, right? You honestly are telling me that if the Bruins were skating around five years from now, ten years from now, with Rapid Seven here, McDonald's here, TD Bank here, Chase Bank there, Mike's Pastries here, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be funny. If if the league went to that and the Bruins were skating around with a bunch of logos, because it's a different culture than what you're accustomed to with European football, like a lot of that's cultural in in North America. We aren't used to this. It's just it's just the fact of the matter. So, are you telling me you that really wouldn't bother you if you were watching the Bruins that you've watched your whole life, and now it it's like a rainbow skating across your TV? The Boston Bruins, not not a European soccer team, like that wouldn't bother you at all. Really, uh, it really wouldn't. You're trying to. It, it, really. I wouldn't be thrilled about it. Like I'm not. I'm not saying like I wouldn't care at all. I just think I would. Yeah, you I would accept it. it. You accepted it. You, yeah, I know. You've accepted it. You're thinking about it now, so that eight years from now you've accepted it. That's not what I'm asking. Yeah. There's a difference between <laughs> accepting something and liking something. You you like No, I I, I wouldn't like it. I right. would just Thank you. I I would learn to live with it. Scott, it's... you have to accept everything in life. <laughs> There's no other choice but to accept things. I, I mean I guess you can you know, one can protest, but obviously if 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 they if they did that, I would have to accept it. That doesn't mean I wouldn't want to punch a hole through a wall because I would. Um, actually, I'm not going to lie. I think you would be leading riots outside TD Garden. <laughs> I got to tell you, Scott, like so much of it, 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 it if they were to go that route. Or, or as it would be known then, the TD Dunkin' Donuts, Exxon yeah. Mobile, yeah. General Electric, <laughs> whatever garden. Hey, hey, do you have Rapid 7 season tickets? Um, I Look. A big part of what of what why you fall in love with teams and, and sports leagues is because of, you know, the history behind the teams, the rivalries, the aesthetic looks of uniforms. It's all it all plays into it. Like so so if I, I'm not gonna lie, like like do I love hockey? Yeah, I love hockey. You know, it's I've you know, been in my life as long as I can remember, playing it, coaching it, writing about it, podcasting about it, you name it. Um but I'll be honest with you. If 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 it's ten years from now, you know, and I got a and I got a cup, I got a couple little kids, you know, and I'm I'm in my my you know late mid to late thirties, like, and the Bruins are skating around with, you know, you know, Tim Hortons and 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 just covered head to toe in uniform in advertisements. I guarantee you that I would actually probably uh, potentially fall out of love with watching them all the time the, the the viewing the nhl would be less fun for me because it would i would be looking at it for it's what it is which is just a money grab and 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 there's a lack of respect for for the game and, and its history like i don't think you can make so much money you don't have to have a rapid seven patch on a jersey you don't have to have a jersey ad program like you think people are gonna be you think you think you think sully is gonna be watching the game this year, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a whistle, and it shows it shows Craig Smith in the face-off circle talking to Charlie Coyle, and then you got Sully on his coach saying, "Oh my God, dude, 
Rapid 7, what's that? You know what? I gotta get some cybersecurity. Like, get the hell out of here. It's not doing anything. You think Maple Leafs fans are gonna be watching the, the Leafs and the, and the Canadians on, a, on Hockey Night in Canada Saturday night, and, and Maple Leafs fans are gonna be like, oh, you know what? I can really go for a glass of milk. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what are we doing here? I'm not fucking the way, bullshit. The, the Leafs jersey just saying milk <laughs> on them. I'm going to laugh every single time I see that. <laughs> it's like, come on, you know? So... You want to adver- you want to you want to advertise every every feature of a television broadcast. You want to advertise in rink, in arena, you know, ticket raffles and this and that and, and chuck a pucks. Go ahead, plaster the ice with logos, plaster the boards with logos. Keep just what you don't have to do the uniforms. Just it's it's like I said, I, I don't think they're going to go overboard. I think I think never say never, but I think in the next 10 years I think they realize not to do too much, but I just, I don't know. I, I I also want the Bruins, if they're going to do an ad on their helmet, I don't, I can't stand the T, can I at least do TD Bank in just like white and black font? They're like, I know that's like a big part of their logo is the, is the green square, but it just doesn't go with the Bruins uniforms. They're not, they're not the Dallas Stars, like you got black and yellow and just a green square. It just, there's a way to be subtle about it like they did it with the jersey patches. I, I would appreciate that if they could do that with the helmets, but that's that's a story for another day. It's already been on the helmets for like two years, which is crazy, but um, anyway, I guess the, to summarize, I hate the initiative, but the Bruins the Bruins did well if they were to do it. And to your point, Scott, I think, I think 15 or 16 teams will start the year with them, and I know that teams have the option to integrate that, that program on their jerseys throughout the regular season and through the throughout the playoffs. So at, at any moment this year, teams that don't have one could end up having one. And it's like you said, so if your team doesn't have one right now, prep yourself for at least one um, because it's going to happen. And maybe there's maybe there's more to the revenue about this than that you can inform me on about how it, this program is going to make them a ton of money, but it does seem like a little silly to me. But they did fine. It's, it's, it's not bad. I just don't like it. By the way, these Brian rants are now brought to you by. <laughs> oh my God! Seriously, <laughs> that's good, Scott. That was funny. Um, all right, let's get out of here. Um, we will talk to everybody. At, I don't know. We're, we're we're doing these podcasts. We're doing like two or three week now. So we'll be we'll be revving up for the season. We have you know some prediction podcasts to come up. We'll talk about some preseason games that were. Um, and yeah, just, you know, they'll have played plans. at least one preseason game by the next time we talk, probably early next week. So yeah, yeah. So so we'll be in touch. We we got a we got some you know future plans in store for the podcast throughout the season that we're going to be integrating. So it's going to be you know we're gonna there's going to be a lot of content. So it, it all starts now. Um, the season kind of started yesterday with or today with with training camp starting. So um, if you're all set, Scott. Thank you to the listeners for for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. All good. See you guys.